And it's starting, and we are live. All right, ladies, gentlemen, brethren, all, welcome to the Working Group Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our opinions and thoughts are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies, etc. I'd like to remind you to please connect with us and ask questions either here on YouTube chat or on the uh, uh, Facebook page chat or on our Discord server. And again, if you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a review here on uh, Facebook. It really helps with our rankings. And now that we're uh, on many other podcast servers like Spotify and whatnot, thanks to David, um, please review us there too. We, we uh, are, are boosting our rankings by the day. My name is Steve Chung. I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm a decorated senior dean Malay and a past master of Prince Charles Lodge of number 153 here in BEA, beautiful Kelowna, British Columbia. And I'm also a 32nd degree Scottish Rite, a past place peace and grandmaster in the Valley of Vernon. Uh, with me today on my right is uh, brother Ron Fuchs. Uh, go ahead, Ron, and introduce yourself to the group. Hi, I'm Ron Fuchs. I'm a member of Prince Charles uh, 153 here in Kelowna. I'm uh, heavily involved in our, our mentoring group, uh, which is my passion uh, with education uh, in our lodge. Uh, also involved with uh, Scottish Rite at the uh, Valley of Vernon here uh, in Oakland as well. And uh, also joining us today, we have Mr. Matthew Apple. Hello, I'm, I'm Matt Apple. I'm the, currently serving as the Deputy of the Grand Master in District 2 of in the, here in the great state of Washington, and uh, serving as the secretary of Mill Creek Lodge number 243. Awesome. Thank you, Matthew. And, of course, uh, uh, we're missing today Connor Massey. Uh, uh, Brother Connor Massey's been having some uh, prolonged health issues, and he's in the hospital, so our thoughts are with him today as, as we miss him on this podcast. Uh, uh, look for our social media posts. We'll update you as to his his uh, conditioning later. Uh, now, uh, uh, David uh, Colbeth, our other worthy co-host here, uh, he's uh, going to get to introduce our guest and himself. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, I'm uh, David Colbeth. I'm out here in Washington and Bonnie Lake, just a little south of Seattle. I'm a past master of my lodge, King Solomon, number 60 in Auburn. I'm uh, also a past uh, deputy like Matt is. I'm in District 13. We're kind of the Rowdy District. We call ourselves the Rowdy District. Uh, 32nd degree, uh, I always say that, 32nd degree Mason. <laughs> 32nd degree Scottish Rite member of the Tacoma Valley of Scottish Rite. And uh, do some things with my local Deem Lay chapter, hoo-ha. I've got some pretty incredible news to tell you about that, Stephen. Uh, I got a pretty, pretty, unique, pretty neat letter in the mail over the weekend. And uh, my uh, daughter is also in Rainbow, and we're headed to Grand Assembly on Thursday. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a long weekend. We're going to be in Yakima for Rainbow uh, for girls. That should be pretty fun. So, yeah, today, uh, very exciting. Glad to have so many people on today, Ron and Steve and Matt. And we're actually welcomed by a special uh, guest who's been on before. Uh, now, right worshipful Trevor McCown and... Uh, I, I, you'll have to explain how the jump from very to right happened or what that what that piece is in your uh, introduction. It's right. all about who you know. 
So I'm currently curator of the Vancouver Masonic Library and Archives, clerk of the office to the Grand Lodge of British Columbia and Yukon, chairman of the Vancouver um, Library and Archives Board of Trustees, uh, Canada's only full member of Quater Coronati Lodge in London, and curator of uh, or web administrator for our Grand Lodge website. I prefer to be referred to as an obscure Freemason of no authority. <laughs> Sounds like a district deputy. You got all, no authority and all responsibility, right? That was last year. <laughs> so is that how the change from very yes. to right worshipful? Yeah. Is that right worshipful yeah. title? And yes, they as grand historian, this will be my sixteenth term. That office comes with the rank of very worshipful. Uh, okay, so you'll you will be part of history pretty soon. Sixteen years. Is it twenty years or twenty five years? You become part of history. Is that? Uh, these days with the internet, I think it takes about eight weeks. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that was a discussion I had with, uh, our grand past grandmaster when he was asking me to be deputy. I, I said, well, I think in BC, they call them right worshipfuls. But, uh, when I did some history on that, it was, <laughs> we said, no, no, you're only going to be very down here. The, the grand historian in British Columbia was a right worshipful up until the 1940s, where there was a, a shift in ranks. Uh, when we took uh, the Grand Historian from right to very, and we took our Grand Director of Ceremonies and took him from very to right. Uh, very good. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I, I said, yeah, I don't really want to be a right worshipful because here right worshipful means that you're in the Grand South uh, headed to become a right. Grand Master. And so we said, no, thank you. <laughs> I don't know about Matt. Maybe he'd like to, to earn that title here soon. I'm pretty sure you're going to be drafted any minute now. <laughs> yeah. So before we get on to our topics for today, uh, now I'm, you piqued the interest. What's the letter you got, David? Well, I don't know how they do that in Canada, but in uh, in in the Washington in the U.S., there's um, I, I was never a DMLA, so I'm not senior DMLA. Uh, but there is a higher rank, if you will, or a higher uh, atonement that is granted to adults that have done, apparently, I don't know what I did other than just show up, <laughs> uh, but higher atonement that is given to adults that show interest in support and extraordinary involvement in DMLA. They call it the Legion of Honor. And so uh, in October, uh, I'll be granted the Legion of Honor uh, for DMLA as an adult support. Oh, no. The worst month of the year to travel. I'm going to have to come and support my brother in joining the Legion of Honor. Uh, yes. I, Congratulations. I was, that's great. Thank you. I was, awesome. I was shocked. I was that's shocked. Fantastic. Congratulations, man. I, I, would, I would have never expected it. And uh, so it was, it was interesting. I had received this letter and my wife handed it to me and I thought, oh, oh maybe I'm in trouble or some, you know, some kind of message from the, from the DMLA and, uh, so I hadn't opened it. I kind of sat on the counter and, and hadn't opened it yet. And then I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw some of my other brothers that they were very excited and they had posted that on their Facebook page. And I thought, uh, that can't be, I, I thought I can't, I had not done anything. And again, in my mind, anything that would warrant that. And, uh, so I was very excited to see that's what the letter was, but anyway, that is, that is awesome. Please, uh, send me, email me the, uh, date on that. So I can throw it in my calendar. So I can welcome you to the club. That'd be great. That'd be great. Love, awesome, you, love you, have you there. Well, today is not about me. It is about the ancient landmarks. 
Oh, no comment from Trevor. I thought yeah. maybe Trevor was going to jump in. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there, there are. Interestingly, uh, not to start the debate immediately, but interestingly, in in Washington, in our Washington Code, it refers to the ancient landmarks all over in the code in many many places. But the only place that they are is in the appendix, and they're not a part of the code, even though they're referred to in the code. So it, that is a, it's a very contentious start. But uh, I think one of the great spots that has some explanation of them, a list of them, as well as links to several discussions and and uh, reports about them is right on the Grand Lodge of BC and Yukon. And I posted that link on the YouTube channel, as well as the Facebook page and Matt posted to our Discord server. So if you have a chance and want to follow along, uh, with this conversation. We're going to try and get through as many as we can. And if we get through a couple, that's great. And then we can do this two and three parts or whatever. And anybody wants to chime in, I'll kind of, uh, Trevor today is kind of our expert as he has written a paper uh, called the Landmarks of the Order, which is a link on there. I think they, did, did, did they? <laughs> I did, many did, years ago. Yeah, is that probably, the, uh, probably wrong? <laughs> I think that's the, the link. The link they have on the website is Landmarks Debunked, and uh, that is the link to your paper, Trevor. So. Uh, that sounds like me, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so feel free, everybody, to chime in on opinions and comments as we kind of go through here. So the thought was that we just would read the, the short version of the landmark, and then there's a little longer description of it. Before we get into that, if yeah, I can make sure. one comment, and I cannot remember who once described the landmarks as those points which... If they were not there, then it would not be Freemasonry. So any one of these, if they were taken away, if we were still Freemasonry, then they're not a landmark. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I think the idea of landmarks, too, is to to set a basis. I mean, there's a, there's a description in one of the links that talks about landmarks and proverbs. And, yes. uh, and so... So a landmark is just an idea that uh, you know it, it sets a it sets a pillar, if you will, or uh, a mark in the ground. That says this is what we kind of believe in general. Not everybody will believe it, and that's why I think why it hasn't been widely adopted. But, uh, you know, there are differing versions of the landmarks too. Pike has his landmark. Uh, so, as the landmarks provided by Albert Mackey in 1858. Uh, the list begins with number one, the modes of recognition. Long description is landmark first. The modes of recognition are of all the landmarks, the most legitimate and unquestioned. They admit of no variation. And if ever they have suffered alteration or addition, the evil of such a violation of the ancient law has always made itself subsequently manifest. Uh, an admission of this is to be found on the proceedings of the Masonic Congress in Paris, where a proposition was presented to render these modes of recognition once more universal, a proposition which never would have been necessary if the integrity of this important landmark had been rigorously preserved. So apparently it's implying that the modes of recognition weren't previously uh, legitimate and unquestioned. Is that... <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And in fact, uh, of course, the big conflict in England was the change in the, in the uh, words and the modes of recognition by uh, the Premier Grand Lodge. And this allowed the self-claimed self ancients to get, uh, get their knickers in a twist. Uh, so was it, were, they, were they confirmed more once the rituals were uh, 
modified and brought together or once, once the two grand lodges united in 1813 they were returned so they are currently mind you uh the english and for the most part canadian uh, modes of recognition will differ from a lot of american jurisdictions so again we don't exactly have a landmark uh where you will use in many jurisdictions two words uh england and many uh uh, English-based jurisdictions will only have one. Uh, certainly, the uh, grips are pretty much universal, uh, but the signs are all over the map if you do much visiting in other jurisdictions. So uh, we can claim it as a landmark, and we can certainly claim to know what was once done, but we cannot claim that we are all universally doing that today. And it would certainly be... Pretty, pretty picky of us to start looking at whether or not we recognize other jurisdictions because they do things slightly differently. Mm -hmm. For sure, for sure. And have the, uh, so different modes of recognition, if, if uh, how, would you, how would one Mason know to be another if they aren't all the same? And that's why we have a Grand Lodge system. <laughs> <clears throat> the, <clears throat> you see, you and I don't know that we're actually both Freemasons. Right. We've been introduced by someone that we know to be a Freemason, uh, but only electronically. The only real way I can know that you're actually a Freemason is if I have my grand secretary talk to your grand secretary, because they know each other, and your grand secretary talk to your secretary, who will confirm that he knows you to be a Mason. And that's what Freemasonry is about, is that network of one-on-one -on -one personal knowledge. So... The grips and tokens, the signs of recognition, really only have a role within the context of a tiled lodge and the ceremonies and rituals. To use that handshake or that, oh, well, and you're not going to use the signs in a public street, you'll, a street, you'll use the, possibly the handshake, but that's been published in the front pages of newspapers, so, you know, that doesn't really prove anything either. <laughs> And on the interwebs, for sure. That's uh, yeah. I remember when I was trying to learn my ritual, I thought I'd be smart and go out to the the wide world web and uh, try to to one up it. And I just made a hullabaloo of it. <laughs> and working with my mentor, he said, "Where where are you getting those words? Or where are you getting that from?" I said, "Well," <laughs> and uh, he said, "Yeah, don't use that again. That would not be good." Well. Uh, if there are any other discussion on the first one, we could move on to the second one. Any other things on there, Matt or Steve or? No, you guys no? pretty much covered that one. Yeah. 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 I think, I think this may be the way it is too. There's not a lot of, always a lot of debate about some of these things. Uh, uh, I, I think the importance is that <clears throat> the mode of recognition is unique to a jurisdiction as uh, Trevor indicated, uh, each grand lodge dictates, basically dictates, it's uh well it's not i don't think it's even needs grand lodge in that sense like in in our area here uh you know like signs and things like that are, we have four different works in our area and so i go to different lodges and you know uh, it's funny because you take a new guy along with you and he, he's like well they're doing it different like uh, how come well that's because their lodge does it different like that wherever you go you do it your way where you're you know, where you were trained at your mother lodge is what we tell them. And then they find it quite interesting when they go traveling and visiting elsewhere that it, 
they, they do it differently. And um, then it kind of opens the conversation about the different types of works too. And so that actually is a good conversation. Is how does that, how, if they're all under the Grand Lodge of BC and Yukon, uh, they, the BC and Yukon, the Grand Lodge has approved all of those different works to happen or to be performed. And so each of them, go ahead, Trevor. I can You're tell. opening up another can of worms. That would perhaps <laughs> be a topic for another discussion. Grand Lodge of British Columbia and Yukon is not unique, but we are highly unusual in that we have four standard or authorized accepted rituals. We also have, above and beyond that, grandfathered about 50 lodges that are doing variations. The problem is that we've never really been that uh, concerned in documenting uh, the modes of recognition, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the actual signs in the three degrees. So there has been a lot of drift. Interesting, interesting. We, we, this jurisdiction does not have a grand orator or a, any grand lodge officer officer that makes sure that everyone's conforming to a, to a standard. So we have, we have what's called a grand lecture, which is responsible for that. And we have a, the grand order is separate. Is, is there, you, you don't have a grand. We, we have neither of those. And sure. as I say, different jurisdictions will have different titles for that. Yeah. Uh, England does not have anything of that nature, but just by the nature of, of the English character, they've managed to avoid much drift. So that, that actually leads me to another good question. So we, I do understand we have a, Ritual committee, Grand Lodge ritual committee, and That's another controversial point. <laughs> and so, if they're if what ritual are they working? Are they working all four rituals, or are they working just one ritual for Grand Lodge? The Grand Lodge of British Columbia and Yukon's ritual committee was established as an ad hoc committee in the late 1940s to try and establish standard workings for the ancient or American work and the Canadian or the English emulation work. They managed to take about 20 years to do that. Well, by 62, they'd done that, and quite frankly, should have just disappeared at that point. But for some reason, committees just cannot die, and to this day, uh, we have a committee looking for work, and they will find things to do and have gotten into many areas in which lodges have then slapped them down about. As I say, it's a controversial point. Right, because like Prince Charles Lodge, uh, pre-existing 1954, we have our own uh, bylaws and our own ritual work, and uh, and we can change it ourselves. Uh, well, no, you cannot change it. The ritual committee is adamant, as is Grand Lodge, although it's not with it. It will be, I believe, now in our constitution that you are expected to use the ritual you used when you were warranted. You cannot make changes to that unless approved by the ritual committee or by extension of Grand Lodge. So you're supposed to be following the ritual you were using when you were constituted. The problem with that is that um, often some of our older lodges have no documentation. Right. So that has allowed them to claim that they're using their original work when we know that it's drifted. <laughs> right, right. I don't care personally, and I'm a member of the ritual committee. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, because like you know, in, in some lodges, like our, our ritual said that the junior warden uh, uh, lights the uh, 
set of lights, but it's actually our junior deacon. And it was only written as our junior warden because he had a switch in beside his chair, right? And exactly. Many, many of our ritual practices have little to do with ritual and more to do with practicality. Right. Getting back to the landmarks. Don't don't you have uh, I'm gonna keep dredging. Yeah. <laughs> Even though you don't have a grand lecture or a grand order, don't you have something uh, with the title um, overseer of the work or something like that? Or or no, we have our grand uh, grand supervisor or something. Oh dear. Well, we have a we have a grand director of ceremonies. We are perhaps one of the few. I know the only in Canada jurisdictions to have both a grand director of ceremonies and a grand marshal. And that will be because English lodges have a director of ceremonies and American lodges have a marshal. Uh, and we decided to create two offices, although they sort of share the duties. Uh, but in terms of a superintendent of works, his only role is in corner uh, in foundation stone laying ceremonies. He has no other role. Interesting. Very interesting. Huh. Okay. Well, uh, we will move on here. Landmark, Landmark number two. Landmark number two, the division of symbolic masonry into three degrees. Uh, the long description is uh, a landmark that has been better preserved than almost any other, although even here the mischievous spirit of innovation has left its traces. And by the disruption of its concluding proportion from the third degrees, a want of uniformity has been created in respect to the final teaching of the master's order in the Royal Arch of England, Scotland, Ireland, and America. And the high degrees of France and Germany are all made in, to differ in the mode in which they led the neophyte to the great consummation of all symbolic masonry. That's a long sentence. <laughs> In the 18, very 19th century sentence. In 1813, the Grand Lodge of England vindicated the ancient landmark by solemnly enacting that ancient craft masonry consisted of the three degrees, an apprentice, fellow craft, and master mason, including the Holy Royal Arch. But the disruption has never been healed, and the landmark, although acknowledged in its integrity by all, still continues to be violated. Constantly. And, and it's not a time immemorial landmark either, which, because if you go pre-1723, uh, pre we have little evidence of a third degree, uh, or certainly not one that was necessary for a, a completion of a three-degree system. Uh, and then um, up until recently, perhaps even currently in England, the mark degree is considered a completion of the fellowcraft degree in some lodges, in some workings. So... Yeah, uh, this it, pretty words, but uh, boots on the ground, it doesn't really work that way. And it always uh, fathoms me, too, that some of these degrees that may have been created in the past, whether it's Blue Lodge or other ancillary degrees, uh, were creation of men just trying to make money, basically, especially in the Wild West of the United States. As, as the masonry expanded from the East Coast to the West Coast, they were selling degrees as quickly as they could make them and creating some in that regard as well. Oh, yes. Well, there was a lot of degree creation, but there was also a lot of expansion of the degrees beyond the original catechisms or lectures with the addition of longer and longer additional lectures 
because of course the longer the lectures were the uh the more the um the itinerant orators could charge to teach them to you oh it wasn't just because they like to hear themselves talk it was so they could charge more uh, mostly because uh, you know webb was being paid to travel around upstate new york barney was being uh paid when he uh, traveled through the, the southern states in california uh, so if you're being put up and being paid for to uh instruct the brethren uh the more you have to give them uh the more value it is perceived to have wow here i thought guys did it out of the goodness of their heart goodness of their hearts yeah <laughs> love of freemasonry well yeah i mean uh, i know guys love just love going up and down the valley giving lectures so you know who thought they could get paid for it <laughs> nowadays we could cure so it as a cure for insomnia yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that's a interesting segue to have uh, another speaker that we've been talking about. Uh, Kyle Grafstrom is a local guy here. He published a book, uh, Freemasonry in the Wild West, and it talks a little bit about how masonry came to the West and some of those things that are happening. And so that may be kind of a fun, uh, fun guest to have on the future. Yeah, for sure. If you yeah. know, let's book it up. Yeah. All right. Back to our landmark. Yeah. So, so the the royal arch can't necessarily claim the third the fourth degree or the the completion of the of the third degree is that conclusion or completion and in fact in england both the grand lodge and grand chapter oh about 10 15 years ago both uh posted uh unequivocal statements saying that the royal arch degree was not a completion of the master mason it was a separate degree and and that was kind of the contention between the ancient and the modern, isn't that? Uh, one of some of bringing them together. Oh well, quite so. And that, and in fact, uh, that was the only way the ancients were going to be brought in, uh, is if they were allowed to continue using that degree. And, and just for our our guests that aren't necessarily Masonic or don't know a lot about that, even though they use the term ancient. They were actually the new guys. They, yes, uh, 1754 or something like that. Uh, so easily uh, a generation after the Premier Grand Lodge was founded in 1717, which it probably wasn't. It was probably 1721, but that's another topic. <laughs> and and am I being too uh, basic in that the 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 moderns, if you will, were the as you said the older ones, and then the ancients they wanted to bring back the standard if you will but they were the new guys and so yeah there, there were two things happening uh one uh was an influx of irish workers into london uh and uh the london lodges didn't want the irish so they switched the passwords of the first and second degree so that was the innovation that acted as a excuse for them to start their own grand lodge uh, but uh that wasn't necessarily the reason remembering that lodges at that time even though there was a grand lodge system there were any number of lodges that were not obedient to them claimed to have a warrants uh uh in time immemorial and uh the further away you were from from the city from london the more independent you were in what sort of side degrees you might use and um both the Irish and the Scots had something called a Royal Arch, although it's a very vague exactly what it was. Uh, and in fact, at that time, I think it 
could be said to have actually have come out of like the Scottish right degrees out of France. So changing the passwords back to back to landmark number one, huh? <laughs> which they brought back again in 1713 or in 1813, and and refusing to uh, allow them in. We're we're jumping ahead to landmark 14 there, but. About 14? Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, that's interesting as well. Well, let's not get to 14. Let's not jump ahead because that is not a right in in British Columbia. When, uh, yeah, you're you're right. And when when we did our landmarks, I I was a brand new master and I was was trying to figure out what am I going to teach? There's so much we could talk about during the next 10 or 12 months. And I finally settled on the landmarks and broke them up and I hadn't been paying attention to our Facebook page and our grandmaster showed up at my first meeting and I said, what are you doing here, grandmaster? And he said, well, I, I, I replied to your invite. You didn't see my invite. <laughs> and so I said, well, you're welcome, of course. And we had our, and, it, and I was very nervous. It was our first time going to the shrink the lodge format and some other things. And so we did that and, and it was a great discussion. And he said, uh, yeah, and by the way, when you get to number 14, invite me back. <laughs> and can you explain what you mean when you say shrink the lodge format? Oh yeah, so in in lodge, of course, there's uh, the structure of a lodge, which you can look up online and find that. Uh, and and the idea is that when lodge is open, uh, when it's conducting its business, that the officers and members should stay out of the middle unless you're moving, uh, and so you stay on the sidelines. And so uh, to facilitate communication, uh, we essentially go to refreshment. Uh, which is that was one of the issues I had. I had researched it, and I thought in, in Washington we have what's called uh, off session and refreshment are the basically the two standards that you can use to call a lodge off, if you will. And the the off session version is only supposed to be able to bring in guests from the outside. So for public installations and for public guests during a meeting uh, to move quickly through that process. The refreshment is where, in our case, the great lights are closed, actually, and then members can freely move about the lodge. And so I decided that we weren't actually going to close lodge. We didn't, weren't going to go out of the room. So I didn't want to go to refreshment. I chose to use off session. And the grandmaster whispered in my ear, you might want to check that. <laughs> so needless to say, from then on, we went to refreshment. But anyway, we go to refreshment and we all circle. I wanted to make sure it was a single line. There was no second row. We circle, come together in a circle and uh, by the secretary's desk or wherever. It could be in the middle of lodge anywhere. Uh, but the idea is that there's no second row. Everybody's looking at each other and, and on the level talking about a topic. And again, in this case, it was the landmarks, but it could be anything. It could be your code. It could be uh, something happening in lodge. It could be whatever. Uh, and it isn't doesn't take much. It only takes two minutes to go to refreshment, two minutes to come back. And you have a good 15, 20 minute discussion, half hour discussion. You could bring a lecture in. I'm sure Trevor or somebody would be willing to come and uh, talk with you. Uh, may not get paid to travel, but uh, <laughs> no payment. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's an opportunity to get together and talk uh, eye to eye on the level with each other and, and bring up some of these things. And you uh, know, in, in our discussions, there are some of them that we didn't have any disagreement on or any discussion about, and there's others, including 14, uh, that we had quite a long discussion about. So that was. A long explanation of shrink the lodge. I'm sure it's called other things in other jurisdictions, but or other areas. You guys, do you guys have that? Have you done that in BC? Well, that's uh, much the format um, our worship master is going to try here uh, when we go back in September for the education components of our of our uh, 
lodge meeting. And uh, so we're looking forward to trying that. Um, I've heard similar platforms uh, or formats uh, referred to as different things over the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, I like that idea. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was really fun. I don't know, Matt, do you guys do any of that kind of stuff up in District 2 at all? Not that I've seen. Uh, we've had we've had discussions um, like over over dinner or um, when the lodge wasn't me actually meeting, but nothing nothing long exactly like that. But sort of the same idea, I guess. Yeah, I think some lodges do that at dinner. I know in Kent, at Verity, they're doing what they're called agape, and so they'll have, uh, especially for their degrees, they'll have their degree work, and then afterwards they'll get together and have agape or dinner and discussion about the degree and, and opportunity for the candidate to talk about his experience and whatnot. So it's kind of a neat setting. All right, back to, so have we, have we beat up landmark number two? <laughs> uh, are, are we confirmed that it's divided into three degrees and no more? Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, landmark number three, the legend of the third degree. Uh, the legend of the third degree is an important landmark, the integrity of which has been well preserved. There is no rite of masonry practiced in any country or language in which the essential elements of this legend are not taught. The lectures may vary and indeed are constantly changing, but the legend has ever remained substantially the same, and it is necessary that it should be so. For the legend of the temple building constitutes the very essence and identity of masonry. Any right which should exclude it or materially alter it would at once, by the exclusion or alteration, cease to be a Masonic right. Dum 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 dum. <laughs> Although I earlier said there are no landmarks, and I don't necessarily view this as a landmark by the strict definition, because again, prior to uh, the early 1700s, we have no record of, of this. But I would suggest that this is one in which, if we did not have the Hiramic legend, it wouldn't be Freemasonry. So that, if anything qualifies as a landmark, this one will. It is interesting. Do you, do you have any any information about the creation of the third degree that did you know of? Um, not off the top. There were two legends floating around in various stonemason guilds, if you will, although we're pretty much past the guild period but in the 1600s. There was a legend involving Hiram, in several different forms, uh, and there was a legend uh, involving Noah, which later became part of uh, uh, of another side degree. Um, but and its evolution actually uh, can be tracked mostly through the exposures of the early 1700s. Um, I know there has been much research done in this area. I know there isn't a whole lot of. Uh, source documentation to research, but I, I really don't have anything off the top I could talk about. It seems like I, I feel like I have to agree with Trevor that it might not be an ancient landmark, depending on how you choose to define that, but certainly a landmark today it is. I would, I would, I, one of the things I would define about masonry is if I had to make a definition that the existence of that legend. Absolutely. I apologize. I just was looking over at our uh, YouTube chat to see, and uh, Kyle Reitz says hello from Kyle Ancient Light Lodge number 88. Trevor, by the way. Who? Oh, hey, hi. Kyle Reitz. <laughs> and also, we've got a guest, uh, 
the Dub Glass Distillery. Worshmaster Stephen Lee out of Southern Gate, number 124 in Oliver, BC. I don't know if anybody knows him. So we got some great, uh, great attendance today. So if you, just as a side note, if you have any questions that you'd like to have answered or want to be part of the discussion, make sure to put your comments into the YouTube chat and or the Facebook page. We're trying to monitor the Facebook page as well, but the YouTube chat is really the best place to do that. Or the Discord server. I think Matt may be monitoring Discord server for us today. <clears throat> so the next landmark. If I may interject real quick, since Absolutely. I've done a duck out early, I, for which I apologize. Uh, again, it's not podcasting professionalism, I suppose, but uh, right. uh, I was just glad to be a part of the, the per, part of the conversation. But uh, I, I personally would like to to just comment on the fact that, as you were saying, David, the 25 landmarks that are published at the end of the, the Grand Lodge of Washington Masonic Code. And number 25 is that the landmarks of masonry can never be changed. And then it says immediately after that in the Washington Masonic Code is a set of brackets and it says revised 2007. <laughs> On that note, I will uh, thank you all for, for letting me be a part of the discussion. And I look forward to uh, hearing the rest of it later. And have a good week. Sounds great, Matt. Talk to you soon. All right. We'll, so we'll continue here. We we have just about uh, 50 minutes or so, so we'll see if we can slog through another two or three of these at least. Uh, we're having some good discussion on these. Uh, so number four, the government of the fraternity by a presiding officer called a grand master who is elected from the body of the craft is a fourth landmark of the order. Many persons ignorantly suppose that the election of the grand master is held in consequence of a law or regulation of the Grand Lodge. Such, however, is not the case. The office is indebted for its existence to a landmark of the order. Grandmasters or persons performing the functions under a different but equivalent title are to be found in the records of the institution long before Grand Lodge were established. And if the present system of legislative government by Grand Lodges were to be abolished, a Grandmaster would be necessary. In fact, although there has been a period within the records of history and indeed of every recent date when a Grand Lodge was unknown, there was never there had there never has been a time when the craft did not have their Grand Master. Do we agree or disagree? Well, I would disagree with that history, but I would also say that uh, a Grand Master, similar to the Hiramic legend, is an integral part of what defines contemporary Freemasonry and that will be a landmark for our recognition of each other. Yeah, regardless of whether it's masonry or any organization, you need to have somebody in charge. Uh, and uh, in our in our sense, in our in our structure, someone who is elected. Uh, that certainly, uh, th this all harks back to the to the harkens back to the earliest days of of Scottish uh, stone masonry, and and. Um, various uh, Irish and Scottish ideas of, of social groups where they would meet annually, elect a leader for the, for the duration of that meeting, who would uh, lead them in their discussions, in their deliberations, in, in their celebrations. Um, and that was the extent of his role. And he would have been referred to as a grandmaster in at least one very early document, but only for that short period of, of a week or a weekend. But that's that's our history. Uh, and I think that's worth preserving uh, in our current usage of a grandmaster. 
So how does this play in England, though, where the Grandmaster isn't really elected? He is annually elected. There is an annual election. It is just a given that nobody's running against him. But again, that's just the English character. <clears throat> and and isn't isn't that the case in in I would say several uh, grand jurisdictions that while the Grandmaster is certainly on the ballot, it's an assumption that the next guy is supposed to be uh, elected. Certainly in British Columbia and Yukon, any past master can throw his uh, name in the ring, his hat in the, his, uh, hat in the ring, uh, and has until about 60 days before Grand Lodge to do so. Uh, nominations close a couple of months before Grand Lodge annual communication. And yes, the assumption is that we have a progression from the junior Grand Warden up. Uh, and I understand some other jurisdictions have an established progression through just about all of the Grand Lodge officers, even though their constitution may allow any one of them to be elected. Yeah. It isn't, <clears throat> I, I know in, uh, yeah, in, in other jurisdictions, I won't necessarily call them out, but, but other jurisdictions, there are, there are those more formal, uh, formal lines that are created much, much before the election process begins. Uh, is I was thinking that BC was similar in that they had a, um, a strong recommendation as to the the first election elected ballot elected. No, uh, uh, elections are pretty well free and open as far as the junior grand warden is concerned. Okay. Uh, nominations for that close on uh, March thirtieth, thirty first. Does there thirty one days in March? April one. Um, <laughs> But uh, any past master can throw his uh, uh, apply. Uh, although in practice, one usually doesn't until one has served a year as a district deputy grandmaster. Doesn't always work that way. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of seems to be the similar process. Some had thought in Washington that, oh, maybe you need to be grand lecturer, grand order, or some other type of position as well before uh, before that. and people ask me all the time, well, isn't, isn't that the normal progression? I said, no, there's no normal progression. Although, as you mentioned, district deputy seems to be a pretty constant. I, I lived in the Yukon at one time and I learned something up there because our entire tourism business is driven by history. So we referred to certain things as being a tradition in the North. If you did something once, it was a mistake. If you did it twice, it was a habit. The third time, it's now a tradition. And I think that applies to Freemasonry as well. And once we've done something one way a few times, people sort of assume that that's the way we've always done it and the way we should do it. Yeah, that is absolutely my mantra when I'm working with a new guy or working with a new idea. I say, guys, we just need to get it past the point that it, that's the way we always done it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then and it's interesting when some guys come back after several years, five, 10 years, and uh, they're reintroduced, and they say, "Well, that's not the way we've done it." I said, "Well, that's the way we've done it the last ten years. So we've <laughs> yeah, we've always done it that way." So, well, uh, in related to that is the landmark number five, uh, the prerogative of the Grand Master to preside over every assembly of the craft. Uh, now that's interesting. Uh, in England. The Grand Master, he's not about to, he turns up at a lodge meeting, he takes the gavel, as in this jurisdiction. In Scotland, the Grand Master turns up, he knocks at the door, 
The tyler closes the door, asks the master if he's going to permit him to even enter. Hmm. He doesn't have a right to enter the lodge. So the Scottish Freemasonry has uh, place, places a great stress on the on the independence of the of the individual lodges. Yes. Always, always prepared to remind Grand Lodge that the, that the Grand Lodge is there to serve the lodges, not the other way around. Yeah, very similar in that. Uh, uh, if if the grandmaster were to be outside at our lodge, there there's been discussion as to whether there is technically a choice. <laughs> if the Not in this jurisdiction, British Columbia and Yukon, you open that door, get out of the way. And, and actually, our Tyler has uh, uh, is the first Tyler that that I knew of that refused entry to a grandmaster because he couldn't produce a current dues card and didn't have this whole entourage with him. He just came up the stairs, said he was the Grand Master, and then he wanted to come in. That's and, I remember yeah. that, actually. Yeah. That was a few years ago. Yeah, it was. Right? So Robert Stewart's known for that one. Yeah, we keep uh, seeming, seemingly keep to, to dance around landmark number 14, authorized entry or the right to attend meetings, and uh, doesn't doesn't necessarily uh, fall separately from the Grand Master and his, his authority. Uh, again, I believe in Washington – there is technically that that rule that uh, the grandmaster still has to follow. In our, we have a separate set of documents called the the uh, lodge officer's handbook, which is not codified, but it is a strongly recommended document. And in those pages, it talks about the instructions to receive the grandmaster, but not being codified, uh, it it isn't required there. So I, I, I believe, I think, I think in the past we've had lodges that have. Because they were because they were going to get me in trouble, <laughs> the grandmaster was coming to visit. They tried or did deny him entry. <laughs> mm. Grand Grand Lodge of British Columbia uh, lodges cannot refuse the master cannot refuse any member of the lodge entry. Any member of the lodge can object to any visitor. So our constitutions uh, give honorary membership for current serving district deputy grandmasters and the grandmaster is oh. automatically a member of every lodge interesting uh, so they cannot remove re, uh, refuse him entrance ah that's in your that's in your code then your yeah, that's in our constitution or our code yeah yeah interesting yeah i don't believe that's uh, it, there, there's several lodges that do make our deputies honorary members honorary members we call it down here but uh <laughs> uh but not officially just just on paper <clears throat> Interesting. That, that would make a big difference, I think, too, if they were automatically uh, interesting addition to the Constitution. That may be. Yeah, and I would have to check England's and Scotland's, but I, I have no idea if that's where we got the idea from or not. Yeah. And not again, not to jump ahead on our 14, but we recently codified that uh, that they're, they clarified the objection and codified the objection process. And I believe it takes three members of the lodge to object. Uh, for for a, a visiting person in our case i can double check that before we get to number 14. we're not going to make that there today but. no <laughs> well speaking of landmark number six yeah so the landmark is the prerogative of the grandmaster to grant dispensations for conferring degrees at irregular times is another and very important landmark the statutory law of mason requires a month or other determinate period to elapse between the presentation of a petition and the election of a candidate but the grandmaster has the power to set aside or dispense with this probation 
and allow a candidate to be initiated at once. The prerogative he possessed in common with all masters before the enactment of the law requiring a probation and as no statute can impair his prerogative, he still retains the power, although the master of lodges no longer possesses it. So in short, this is the make a mason on site rule, right? Yeah, that's what it seems. Well, it also simply allows a lodge to, to carry on, to carry a ballot in one evening and, and confer the degree that same evening, regardless of the Grand Master's presence. So this is about the Grand Master's making a mason at site, but this is also allowing him to overturn a lodge bylaws if the lodge asks him to. Oh, okay. So, um, and our constitution does give him that right. And as much as I hesitate to give the Grand Master any more authority than we possibly can, this is one that I, I suspect that, that would be a landmark. From Certainly from the earliest days that we have a Grand Master, those would predate the days that we had any limitations on when degrees could be conferred. So is, is it, uh, you, you mentioned from balloting to conferring the degree, but I think it also indicates that uh, in between. from the petition, so a guy, in theory, a guy could petition the lodge and upon the grandmaster's approval, the lodge could then vote and potentially confer immediately or quick, much more quickly than requiring a month in between, if I'm reading that, yeah. right, which yeah. I think the... It also in Washington and other jurisdictions, they had the idea of the one-day conferral. Uh, I don't know that I don't know that the petitioning process is sped up during the one-day conferrals. I don't know that part of it, but uh, I guess the idea the idea of somebody if they were being deployed or something and needed to wanted to petition and become a mason and they didn't want to have to wait a month basically bypasses the investigation process. Do you, is that something? Well, our our constitution already has a, a separate section. Uh, regarding the military okay. uh, that already allows them to, to circumvent that. Um, this particular section, I suspect, uh, yeah, well, it covers a, uh, a multitude of sins. Uh, <laughs> well, and again, if you're... However, in the this, is Mackey's, this is Mackey's landmark, not necessarily Very true. the wording of any of the other lists, and I'm trying to see what the phrasing of that would be elsewhere. Uh, and I, yeah, so I, I think in its original sense, it was simply the prerogative of the Grand Master to grant dispensations for conferring degrees at irregular times, which is to say at a time not listed in, their, in the Lodge bylaws. Sure, on a non That would be in its strictest sense. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Mackey, uh, and Mackey does this throughout his, his, his list, uh, gives the Grand Master all the powers and authority he possibly can. So they, that's the very loosest uh, interpretation of that. Is, is uh, in, in BC, as an example, do degrees happen normally on a stated meeting night, or what would be a stated meeting in your bylaws? Uh, no. Um, and in fact, emergent meetings were often called for the reason of conferring degrees, but that would be listed in their bylaws. So an emergent, they, they were authorized by their warrant to have emergent communications. Uh, the, but also just, it was always clear that there was that waiting period between uh, the petition between the ballot and, and the degree, uh, and uh, the Grand Master was given the authority to to waive any one of those. 
It's interesting. It doesn't talk about any other process be, besides just waiting. It, do you have any thoughts yeah. about why? Why would why would you need to wait? Just was it to allow the other members? Because in 1858, we didn't have the internet interwebs and we didn't have uh, Tesla electric cars, so we couldn't get to places. Was it the opportunity to be able to travel to lodge? Or? I can't think of any esoteric reason uh, for for a, a time period. Uh, I suspect it was simply that not everyone was at a meeting and would have heard uh, the minutes would have been aware that a uh, petition had been received uh, or that a petition uh, committee report had been uh, brought back to the lodge this and our constitution also allows a grace period if you will after a ballot for any brother to object to that candidate if he project, uh, if he can present valid information to the master. And that will act as a black ball, even after the ballot has been taken. Uh, so it, yes, I think it's, it is all about communication. Uh, and now when we can, it's also communication with the members, but also communication with Grand Lodge so that the Lodge can be assured that this is somebody that isn't on our blacklist. He, he has not been rejected by another lodge. He is not uh, uh, known to us as, as uh, someone that we do not want. Sure. Oh, you mean like in order to catch a guy who moves around to uh, go and uh, secure membership somewhere else because he got turned down? Yeah. Now, you are allowed to uh, be rejected for peti uh, your petition to be rejected in a lodge. Uh, you can reapply, but you have to wait in this jurisdiction 12 months. But you also have to declare that you were rejected. That's the same in Washington. Yeah. Yeah. 12 months. Hang on. Hmm. That's a conversation needs to be had. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and topic for another time. Yeah. We, we've had guys that uh, have have fought their way through that, and now after a couple of situations, they are excellent masons. And so it's interesting the guys that really want it, and it, it kind of harkens back to the idea of uh, there's some some members I know some lodges that really want to move through and get a you know, get a guy that he's excited about masonry, and they say there's no reason we should pause. Well, <clears throat> guys that have taken sometimes three years to to work through the process and potentially being uh, voted down and continuing through the process year after year, continuing to be part of it. And now are great Masons. And so I, I think it speaks volumes to not having to rush through the degrees and not rush through the petition process and oh, the sure. energetic experience. Yeah, for sure. No, we have a, uh, we have a, I didn't know about this rule. <laughs> we have a member who took a demit from his mother lodge, went traveling for several years. Um, came back, started the pro process to uh, uh, rejoin his lodge, had uh, his father pass away overseas, so he jumped on a plane and never communicated with anybody where he went, why he went, just went, and um, then abandoned his, his uh, I guess, process, had um, already done the investigation and all of that, and um, had abandoned the process in going to be with his dad and so one lodge didn't know the history behind it 
And when they found out that he had abandoned his his uh, or that he his his thing wasn't written down with Lot as being abandoned, it was written down as declined. And so he's petitioned our lodge because he knows me and I, I've known him for many years. Uh, he's in Malay, and uh, I didn't know, so I'm going to have to find out about this rule to make sure that we're not breaking any rule there. For sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Well, we are kind of getting close to the hour here. And uh, while it's been a great discussion, I don't know that we can get through another one. It looks like we've got a couple of more uh, specific about the Grand Master. I guess number eight is the Mason on site paragraph or landmark. And that's a long one to read. So uh, I think we should probably look at wrapping it up at this point and look to bring Trevor back another another time based on our current uh production here i think we might need another two or three shows if you're up for it trevor <laughs> oh sure i mean i do have a day job you know but... <laughs> well uh we'd be happy to have you come back maybe we can have some other guys come in as well and and help us uh, to work through these but yeah we'd love to have you come back always great insight and as steven said before please uh, give us a thumbs up on youtube and put your comments in there and subscribe and hit the little bell button there to be reminded of the shows that are coming live. And as he alluded as well, we are now officially a podcast, even though it's been in our name for a while, we are officially a podcast and uh, this audio recording will be posted up onto the various podcast lands, including Spotify and Google podcast and iTunes is coming soon. You have to work through that process and uh, Stitcher and all your other favorite podcast programming out there. So definitely subscribe to those. And on that, you can download those, listen to them in the car and uh, or before you're going to sleep and uh, doze off into the evening. So but we thank you so much, Trevor, right worshipful brother, Trevor McGowan for coming and joining us today. And we'll be back again in the future to talk about landmarks of Freemasonry and cover those. Uh, but next week, very exciting. We are going to talk party guys, Shriners, the Shriners of Masonry. Uh, next week, we'll have the potentate. Uh, they're one of the potentates from BC and the potentate from Washington on the line. And they just uh, had the National Shrine Convention in Nashville in the U.S. here. So he's uh, Dale Ursalich is all excited and pumped to come and join us next week and talk about that and what Shrine is. And also, not just, you know, they're given kind of the, the party guy image but the shrine and shrine hospitals specifically do a lot of excellent work for our, our, the youth and for our communities. And so we'll definitely talk about that as well. I'd uh, love to maybe try and do an on-site video at one of the shrine hospitals. It's uh, pretty amazing. Some of the work they do millions and millions of dollars being raised for those programs. So again, thanks so much, Stephen, any uh, comments as we exit here? Uh, no, I think it was a great uh, episode. I, I appreciate Trevor. Um, coming back on with us. It's always so much fun to have you. Uh, you're a wealth of knowledge. Um, look forward to having you on again. This, this only getting through this part list, great way to have them back on again. You know, there you go. Uh, instant invite and uh, look forward to uh, next week's for sure. Absolutely. Um, and Ron, thanks again for hanging out with us too. Thanks. Learned a lot today. It was great, uh, great to sit down. All right. And uh, with that, we'll call it a day and, The broadcast is stopped.